Hey everybody and welcome to the 5 Bytes Podcast. I'm your host, Rory Monahan. The podcast, as always, is brought to you by my sponsors. Numescent, the inventors of the first and only cloud-native container management platform for Windows desktops. And also brought to you by PolicyPack Software, now part of Networks, where you use Group Policy or MDM to remove admin rights, manage and lock down applications, Java, browsers, and mitigate ransomware, plus more. And of course, also brought to you by ControlUp, end-to-end digital experience management for the work-from-anywhere era. ControlUp, happy users, happy IT. If you enjoy the show each week, you have these awesome sponsors to thank. And now for some news. The Microsoft Ignite conference took place this week, and it was a hybrid event. So there was an online component, but there was also an in-person Uh, conference in Seattle, Washington. And it seemed to be kind of a jarring experience, at least for those who went there in person, because some of the actual sessions that they went to ended up just being uh, a screen with a recording playing on it. So yeah, that's fine for people who are remote and viewing it online. But for people who are there in person, you know, you might feel a little screwed over by paying all that money and uh, putting the time into traveling there just to watch a recording. Now, I did see online that some of the breakout sessions were in person and they had people presenting there, uh, but hopefully this is something they can improve on for next year's event. But there was a lot of announcements and I'm going to try to be as concise as possible. Unfortunately, when there's a big conference like this, and actually there's two big conferences this week, there was Ignite and there was Google Cloud Next, uh, it's quite hard to be too concise without losing a lot of information. But I'll try to be as quick as possible and go through at least what I consider to be highlights from the announcements. So on the Microsoft 365 side, there's been a Microsoft Lists feature, which includes some kind of planner and productivity features like the to-do app, for example. And now you'll be able to use your Microsoft account or your MSA to create and share lists on your iOS device via the TestFlight app. And they also list support for Android tablet devices as well. There's also out-of-the-box templates now for using lists within your Power Automate flows for automation purposes. And it looks like there's going to be some integration between some of the lists that are available in Microsoft Lists, like that to-do that I mentioned, uh, available within Microsoft Projects. So that could be pretty interesting, um, setting up lists and then also having Microsoft Project and maybe as uh, things get checked off within the to-do app, it's reflected within Projects. So I could see that being pretty useful. CRN.com reported that Microsoft introduced new previews related to Defender for Cloud. And one of the previews is for a Defender for DevOps service meant to provide visibility across multiple development operations environments for a central location to manage DevOps security. The service is also meant to strengthen cloud resource configurations in code and prioritize remediation of critical issues. Defender for DevOps supports GitHub and Azure DevOps with support for other DevOps platforms said to be coming soon. Another preview is Defender Cloud Security Posture Management, or CSPM for short, which aims to deliver integrated insights across DevOps, runtime infrastructure, external attack services, and other cloud resources. They say that the CSPM is built on Microsoft's cloud security graph and provides a proactive attack path analysis, at least according to Microsoft. 
And CSPM isn't just about Azure either. So it applies to other cloud providers as well. And one of those highlighted is AWS. And there's also a preview available for expanded multi-cloud threat protection with agentless scanning in AWS Elastic Container Registry. And across these different security features, there's both agent-based and agentless features as well. During Ignite, Microsoft also introduced a way for 365 Defender to automatically disrupt ransomware attacks through the collection and correlation of signals from endpoints, identities, emails, documents, and cloud applications. The new automation is meant to contain affected endpoints, user identities, and other assets to stop ransomware from spreading laterally, reducing attack costs, and improving recovery resiliency. They also announced a public preview of network protection command and control detection and remediation cap capabilities in Microsoft Defender for Endpoint. These enhancements will help improve the time it takes security operations teams to pinpoint and respond to malicious network threats looking to compromise the endpoints. There was also announcements around enhanced security for Azure Active Directory through an Azure AD Alliance team with discussion around combining Azure AD with many other third-party security services. And there's a tech community article with a list of different integrations for AAD and what each one can provide. So you can read like, you know, what Cloudflare offers in terms of AAD protection and other products as well. And Microsoft Endpoint Manager is no more. Long live Intune. So Microsoft have decided to rebrand MEM back to Intune. And now there's also an Intune suite, which encompasses various different products, including the also rebranded Microsoft Endpoint Configuration Manager, which drops the Endpoint word and becomes Configuration Manager, which probably makes sense really because you can use uh, Intune or formerly Microsoft Endpoint Manager uh, for your Azure Virtual Desktops and for Windows 365 too. And as recently reported on the podcast, it also now supports uh, Linux desktops too. So maybe it's reaching a broader scope of uh, endpoints or desktops that it can manage. The suite of products will also include individual add-ons for Intune, including Microsoft Tunnel for Mobile App Management, or MAM, and Endpoint Privilege Management. Microsoft will release MAM in January as an add-on and it will be included in future bundles. Tunnel for MAM is meant to allow workers to access company resources securely without device enrollment. Users can keep personal data private while using a work device of choice. And in preview is also the endpoint privilege management, which I alluded to, which will let IT dynamically elevate standard users with administrative permissions through policies, reducing the risk of attack on those users. The suite will also have automated application patching as an add-on, enhancements to the Windows Remote Help, and an added Remote Help for Android add-on as well. So Remote Help I covered previously on the podcast a few weeks ago. That's actually still a recently relative introduction to MEM or now Intune. So it looks like there's some enhancements for the Remote Help feature coming too. But as I just suggested, just before Ignite, Microsoft actually announced general availability of Linux desktop management in Intune. And this is not a surprise to anyone who listens to the podcast regularly because Microsoft accidentally leaked this a few weeks ago. Also announced just before Ignite is a public preview of FSLogic's disk compaction as shared by the awesome Jim Moyle. 
who said that they're pleased to announce a new FSLogix feature called Discompaction, which will compact containers at log off. This feature will be enabled in all FSLogix customer scenarios. So that's awesome because it used to be a case of uh, running a script point in time against a share with the containers to reduce the sizes, whereas now it's gonna be an automatic feature built into the product, so very cool. Microsoft also announced a preview for an Azure Virtual Desktop Confidential VM option, which again, I'm pretty sure I covered this on a previous episode of the podcast. So yeah, they announced it here, but it was also uh, reported on previously. Uh, But with this feature, users can turn to this option for desktop virtualization to ensure workloads are encrypted in memory with data in use protected. CRN.com has also reported that Microsoft has also made generally available confidential VM node pools for Azure Kubernetes service with the goal of making lift and shift of Linux container workloads to Azure. And there were some other features and announcements around Kubernetes and Microsoft supporting Kubernetes and making it kind of core of the Azure service, um, which again, I'm trying to be as concise as possible. I won't dive into that. Um, but I'll share links to anything that you might want to read for yourself as well. And you'll find that at fivebytespodcast.com under reference links for this episode or by clicking on the episode if it's the last maybe eight or nine episodes available. Or you can find a link in the description field for this episode on your podcast platform of choice. There were several announcements for Microsoft Teams, including a private preview of the Mesh avatars, again, that I mentioned on the podcast previously, where it allows you to have like this animated character uh, representing yourself if you want to have your camera turned off. Um, not all that impressive to me, but I guess it makes sense with the whole metaverse play pretty widely right now. They also announced a Teams premium add-on that's coming soon, I think February of next year and it's going to bring some enhanced AI capabilities. Premium will include meeting guides to have the right team settings for client calls, brainstorms, support, and other scenarios. Premium users can brand meeting experience with custom logos and backgrounds for the lobby and custom scenes if you're using that together mode, which I don't use because I don't like. Uh, The add-on will include an intelligent recap feature for personalized highlights from Teams meetings, tasks generated by AI automatically, assigned from meeting and intelligent playback for navigating uh, recorded meetings, things like automatically recording when people have joined a meeting, when they've left, um, using their name when someone's speaking, and they'll also have live translations and captions for up to 40 languages. Premium will also add watermarking to deter leaks and limit recordings. The webinars in the premium add-on will have a registration waitlist, manual approvals, automated reminder emails, and a virtual green room for hosts and presenters. Which is funny because for the Cloud Paging user group, I was thinking of switching from Teams to Zoom because I don't like uh, using Teams for that type of event, but it looks like they're going to improve that. The Teams phone mobile, or formerly Operator Connect mobile feature, Uh, is now generally available, but it's quite limited to the number of supported operators. But they say that Verizon, Deutsche Telekom, BT, and Swisscom will also launch soon, so hopefully more adopted and supported in the near future. There are also some new Teams chat features generally available, like including video clips, suggested replies in group chats, and a schedule send feature. Teams channels will now receive a compose box feature at the top of the page to make finding conversations easier. 
Teams meetings will be natively available across certified Cisco meeting devices. Um, six Cisco devices and three peripherals will be certified to start with more coming soon. And this continues on to something that I covered on the podcast previously, which was the Teams rooms supporting WebEx. Well, now these devices that will support Teams will also still support WebEx, but Teams rooms will be the default experience. So that seems like quite a commitment from Cisco in supporting Teams and maybe even putting it above WebEx. And there will be support for some of those uh, large displays like the Cisco Board Pros 55-inch and 75-inch, the Cisco Room Bars, and the Cisco Room Kit Pros, as well as the Cisco Cloud Control Hub. So in your meeting rooms, if you have those big Cisco boards, it seems like that's going to be adopted too. The latest version of Visual Studio 2022 version 17.3 was announced as generally available, and this includes new productivity features, a new toolkit for building Microsoft Teams apps, performance improvements for C++ development, and tooling for .NET multi-platform app UI. Power Automate is getting an automation feature that allows you to build your automated workflows based off of natural language, which if that works, that is insanely cool. And kind of in that realm of automation as well, there's an Azure Open AI service that's available with limited access and preview that will offer access to the DAL-E2, which is that model for using natural language to create images using just text or, or other images. So that's kind of cool. They're going down that path as well. There were some features for Azure Cosmos DB, including adding distributed PostgreSQL support which brings fast, flexible, and scalable services to open source relational data with the introduction of distributed PostgreSQL support. And MongoDB developers can now store larger documents with 60 megabyte documents supported in Azure Cosmos DB for MongoDBs. There's new cloud-like capabilities available for Azure Arc-enabled SQL servers, including a new single sign-on experience that integrates Azure Active Directory an improved security and monitoring experience with Microsoft Defender, allowing customers to assess and secure SQL Server estates across multi-cloud and hybrid environments. There's new deployment options for Azure Kubernetes service that's enabled by Azure Arc. There's also some new features that have been released for the Azure Stack HCI, including enhanced Azure remote support, allowing users to grant consent on an as-required basis for Microsoft personnel to gather logs and commands to make troubleshooting easier and the support experience better. There's Azure Marketplace for VM self-service, including for Windows 10 Enterprise multi-session and Windows 11 multi-session images. There's graphics processing unit partitioning with live migration capabilities and more. There's also an Azure Auto Manage feature available for Azure Arc servers and Azure Virtual Machines. That'll include features like applying enhanced backup settings and different auditing modes for compute server baselines, support for Windows 10 VMs, support for enabling Microsoft anti-malware, and just overall will save you time by automating configuration and management of servers throughout a customer's entire lifecycle at scale, whether they're using Azure or hybrid environments. Also announced on the Azure Virtual Machine side of things is the scale set and virtual machines capabilities, including the fact that virtual machine scale sets will enable Azure customers to mix standard and spot virtual machines now in the same virtual machine scale set. 
This is now in preview and the capability is available with flexible orchestration mode and can help Azure customers achieve significant cost savings according to Microsoft. Azure also gains premium SSD version two uh, disks, which gives Azure customers the opportunity to improve the price performance for their storage systems and optimize cost. And they say the new Azure disk storage offering is ideal for apps that require high levels of performance without the need to increase storage capacity. They also announced an Azure Elastic SAN feature, which is in preview. And they say this is a unique cloud native and fully managed storage area network service. So if you have a use case that calls for SAN, you can now use this and manage this in the cloud and just change the provisioning and management model for your existing SAN workloads. And on the Windows 365 side of the house, they announced Windows 365 Government, which is a new offering for government community cloud and government community cloud high organizations. Also officially announced during the event was Citrix HDX Plus for Windows 365, uh, which they say helps IT teams deliver support for a broader range of endpoint devices and peripherals, as well as advanced security and policy controls and a better experience in low bandwidth environments. So this is something that I talked about previously on the podcast because it was announced by both Microsoft and Citrix as an upcoming feature, and it's now available in preview. And yeah, it's awesome because you get all of the great benefits from the maturity of the HDX protocol and those advanced security policies that you typically get as a Citrix customer, but applied to the front for Windows 365. But just quickly to wrap this up, because I'm very aware that I've gone very long on these announcements, even though I tried to be concise. Uh, focused profiles are now supported for Outlook users on Mac OS. Uh, there were some breakout sessions, like I mentioned at the top of the podcast, and it seemed like some information that was maybe not included in the book of news that they publish each time there's an Ignite conference uh, was also shared online. So I saw Mark Rosinovic uh, shared that there's a dark mode that's coming for Process Explorer for those sysinternals fans out there. There were some nice enhancements for resource monitoring in Azure, a much more granular uh, breakdown of like processes and so forth. Uh, Cloud Labs also got a mention during some of the breakout sessions. Uh, DevBox, which I covered on the podcast before, which is like a Windows 365 PC for developers, is now in preview. The Windows 365 app was officially launched, which, again, if you listen to the podcast, I already covered that either in the last episode or the one before that, which essentially, instead of using the remote desktop client for accessing Windows 365 cloud PCs, you can use this app on Windows 11 at least. It's not available for Windows 10 yet. Um, but with this app, you have the ability to do things that you can't do through the remote desktop client, like uh, maybe reset your desktop and um, kind of toggle some of the different settings that you can do within windows365.microsoft.com, but do it from an app instead. And also I saw that shared on social media, at the event, they had a little banner with the QR code promoting the next Ignite event, which is set to take place next November, uh, November 15th through 16th, 2023. And if you scan the QR code, it takes you to sign up to get the information. Uh, from what I could tell, it doesn't say what venue or what location it's gonna be held at. So I guess if you're interested, register and you'll get notified when they've set maybe some of the agenda and also where it's gonna take place. 
And Google Cloud Next was also held this week. And there were several announcements, including that Google Cloud is ramping up its emphasis on cybersecurity and data protection with new integrations and offerings via more than 20 partners. And the efforts apply in different aspects and regions of cloud, including sovereignty, which obviously is a big deal in Europe. The Google Cloud Ready Sovereign Solutions program will help customers identify partner applications validated as compatible with Google Cloud's portfolio of sovereign solutions. And also, Google Cloud is debuting new integrations with Fordrock, JumpCloud, Okta, and Ping Identity, and these integrations will automatically extend identity management capabilities and policies to joint customers. And that's important for securing hybrid work as employees move between the office and home. Google Cloud also announced a dual run, and it's intended to simplify migrations and cut risk when going from legacy systems to the cloud. Google stated, quote, by moving mainframe systems to the cloud, organizations have an opportunity to better utilize their data, implement stronger cybersecurity protections, and build a foundation for their digital transformations that will drive their future growth. Dual Run simplifies this process and reduces any associated risks, end quote. ChannelFutures.com reports that Dual Run enables parallel processing, meaning customers can simultaneously run workloads on their existing mainframes and on Google Cloud. And it supports real-time testing and data gathering to assess performance and stability without disrupting the business. Also, Dual Run allows organizations in highly regulated industries to demonstrate compliance with privacy, security, and data resiliency requirements. There are some announcements for Google Workspace too, including better ability to tag and see information from partner applications using at mentions, better ability to insert interactive information and previews from third-party apps directly into a Google Doc, integrations that allow collaboration within Google Meet calls and started and third-party applications such as Figma and Miro. Figma, of course, being acquired by Adobe if that's approved. There's a new Meet API that lets users schedule and launch meetings directly from within third-party applications. And they are expanding Google Chat and Spaces APIs to enable more functionality between Google Chat and partners applications. Capabilities will include automatic creation of direct messages or group chats. So I just hit the highlights there because I went so long in Ignite and even for Ignite, I didn't cover everything that was announced. So if you're interested in reading more, I'll share a link to the book of news for Ignite and also this channel futures article that I'm referencing for the Google Cloud announcements with this episode. And you'll find that at fivebytespodcast.com. Just click on the link for this episode, which is episode 251. Or if you're listening to it later, it could be under the reference links within the table at the bottom of the fivebytespodcast.com page. Or you may find it in the description field of your podcast platform of choice with this episode. As mentioned at the top of the show, it was also Patch Tuesday this week. And Petri.com reports overall, Microsoft fixed 85 security flaws in Windows and about 11 fixes for Microsoft Edge vulnerabilities this month. Among the 85 vulnerabilities addressed, 15 of them were rated critical, and the company also warned that there's one zero-day vulnerability affecting the Windows Com Plus event system service that's already being exploited in the wild too, so that's definitely one you're going to want to patch. And 
of those vulnerabilities, the ones highlighted by Petri.com includes that COM plus vulnerability, which is CVE-2022-41033. And it is an elevation of privilege vulnerability affecting the COM plus event system service. And this is the only security flaw that has been identified as being exploited in the wild for this month. CVE-2022-41043 is a Microsoft Office vulnerability that has been publicly disclosed but is yet to be exploited. And with this one, attackers could leverage it to obtain user tokens and other potentially sensitive information. And Dash 41038 is a critical remote code execution vulnerability in SharePoint server that could allow an authenticated attacker with managed list permissions to execute code remotely on SharePoint servers. There's also Dash 37979, which is a critical elevation of privilege vulnerability in Windows Hyper-V that could allow a Hyper-V guest to affect the functionality of the Hyper-V host. And there's also Dash 37976, which is Active Directory Certificate Services elevation of privilege vulnerability that could allow attackers to gain domain administrator privileges by using a malicious DCOM client. There are also some significant changes and security hardening in this month's patches, including a change to how domain join is handled in the case where you're trying to domain join a machine that has previously been joined or at least trying to uh, domain join a machine that's using the same name as a machine that had already been domain joined. And in this scenario, they say that during domain join, the client will perform additional security checks now before attempting to reuse an existing computer account. So they say the algorithm is that step one, the account reuse attempt will be permitted if the user attempting the operation is the creator of the existing account. And two, the account reuse attempt will be permitted if the account was created by a member of the domain administrators group. And this does not affect new accounts. They warn that after installing the update, which is KB5020276, a domain join might fail with the following error, which is an error 0xAACR2732, and it's NERR underscore account reuse blocked by policy with the description, quote, an account with the same name exists in Active Directory, reusing the account was blocked by security policy, end quote. And if so, the account is being protected by the new behavior. So just be warned, in your desktop imaging process, if you run into this, then you know this is what's happening and this is why it's specifically caused by security hardening or changes made within this month's patches. And also rolled out this month in an effort to prevent further brute force attack attempts, Microsoft have implemented account lockouts for administrator accounts. And this is affected by a local policy which will be available to enable local administrator account lockouts and this policy can be found under Local Computer Policy, Computer Configuration, Windows Settings, Security Settings, Account Policies, Account Lockout Policies. And for existing machines, they say that setting this value to enabled on those existing machines using a local or domain GPO will enable the ability to lock out administrator accounts. Such environments should also consider setting the other three policies under the Account Lockout Policies that includes their baseline recommendation to set them to 10 10 10 which means an account will be locked out after 10 failed attempts within 10 minutes and the lockout would last for 10 minutes 
after which the account would then be unlocked automatically. And as usual, uh, it's usually the week after Patch Tuesday that I start covering some of the Fallout stories and issues caused by Windows updates, but there have already been some early reports, including the potential for breaking connections uh, within Citrix environments and significant delays installing patches on certain machines, including the potentially uh, slow patching of Hyper-V servers. So of course, as always, proceed with caution, test your patches, but patch as promptly as you can as well. Get that process rolling. And of course, other vendors have also released patches for their products in line with Patch Tuesday, including the likes of Intel, Cisco, and others. And there are also 16 patches released for Ubuntu this month, uh, some for some pretty nasty security vulnerabilities. So if you're an Ubuntu user, patch it as soon as you can. And for those who have listened to the podcast over the last three weeks, you may get a kick out of this next story. Neowin.net have reported that there has been confirmed cases of Windows 11 22H2 breaking Windows Hello Authentication. According to an update from Microsoft, users could experience problems with Windows Hello sign-in methods such as face recognition, finger point, or regular PIN. And the article goes on to say that the bug affects customers who have set up Windows Hello before installing the Windows 11 2022 update. The problem should not bother you if you have enabled Windows Hello after getting to the latest Windows 11 version, but if you had it enabled before updating, could be a problem. So this is wild. This may be the most bug-ridden Windows uh, major update that I've covered on the podcast. And that is saying something because I believe last year there was an update that was released and then pulled and held back for several weeks due to major problems that it was causing. Now, if you go back over the last few weeks of episodes, you'll hear me discuss reported issues, other reported issues caused, including issues with Hyper-V virtual networks, network printing breaking, blue screen of debts if certain drivers are present, and more. So this is a very buggy version or buggy update, so definitely proceed with caution on this one. And speaking of buggy software, Apple released updates this week for iOS running on the latest iPhone 14s, and the list of problems fixed is pretty staggering, at least some of them. It includes delayed notifications of incoming calls or even notifications not being delivered at all. A fix for that, like, <laughs> that's a very basic functionality of a phone. Uh, also fixed is low microphone volume when using CarPlay, also pretty big. And also camera slowness when switching between different modes. And the update appears to be 1.2 gigs in size, so pretty significant. Uh, looks like a pretty bad launch of the iPhone 14, at least from where I stand. I'm glad I have the iPhone 13. There was also some troubling news reported this week related to iOS, but also Android was reported on later in the week too, so it's not just unique to iOS here. But researchers found that at least some network traffic leaks when VPNs are running on devices running on iOS and Android, meaning that the data does not adhere and use the VPN if you're running one. It communicates over the local device's local network instead. Researchers at MISC confirmed that iOS 16 does communicate with Apple services outside of an active VPN tunnel, and worse, it leaks DNS requests. And some of the services that escape the VPN connection includes health, maps, and wallet on iOS. 
and for their testing, they tried it with Wireshark and Proton VPN. Now, when I saw this, I wasn't all that surprised, to be honest, but probably because I'm a little bit cynical, as I said on Twitter. Uh, my thought was that I bet Google and Microsoft do the same thing, and now Android was reported on a little bit later in the week. I wouldn't be surprised if Microsoft also does the same thing, because if you own the operating system, I would guess you would ensure at least the services that you care to monitor are accurately reporting back and will ping outside of the VPN. So not all that surprising. Good that it's been highlighted because then maybe customers can demand a change, but we'll see if they really do change. If they're all doing it, then they could just say tough cookies. So outside of the Ignite announcements, uh, I saw this week the September 2022 updates were announced for Azure Virtual Desktop. So that was September 2022, but it was published in October. So maybe a little bit late getting this one out, uh, but includes single sign-on and passwordless authentication now in public preview, which was also something that was highlighted during Ignite, but it's something that I also highlighted several weeks ago on the podcast as well. And there's also connection graphics data logs for Azure Virtual Desktop that's now in preview. And they say the ability to collect graphics data for your AVD connections through Azure Log Analytics now being in public preview can help administrators understand factors across the server, client, and network that contribute to slow or choppy experiences for a user. There's also been some enhancements for the multimedia redirection feature that's in public preview. They said that they've made Several improvements to this version, including more supported websites, remote app browser support, and enhancements to media controls for better clarity and one-click tracing. And they've also included grouping costs by Azure Virtual Desktop Host Pool being now in public preview. So being able to maybe better uh, assess and see where your spend is for your Azure Virtual Desktops. Show sponsor and my employer, Numescent, announced some new CloudPager features this week, including automated Azure Active Directory integration, making it much simpler to get set up with the product. You don't have to manually create any app registrations in your Azure tenant anymore. It's as simple as just making sure you have the permissions within your Azure tenant to automatically grant the app registration set up in the permissions that it requires. It's a simple um, dialogue that pops up and you just choose to allow access. Uh, there's also enhancements to the existing role-based access options with a new option for the help desk. Uh, there's improved drag and drop application container uploads and enhanced AppD application license policy enforcement, plus more. So some of those great policies features within CloudPager uh, that work awesome for CloudPager containers will now also uh, work for AppD applications too. And kind of in the realm or in the ballpark of that. I also published a blog this week about creating a future for your AppV packages, where I look a little bit deeper at how you can manage and deploy your AppV packages using Numes and CloudPager. So CloudPager not only deploys CloudPager containers, you can also deploy your AppV packages and also MSIX containers too. In a story that could have far-reaching implications for IT, datasetterdynamics.com reported that an Irish airline, Aer Lingus, is seeking compensation after an outage to its IT systems that led the airline to cancel more than 60 flights. 
The outage was said to have been caused when construction work damaged a fiber optic cable and a network card used in the carrier's backup systems was not working, which meant that the airline had no access to passenger information for up to 10 hours. The outage was reported to have cost the airline millions. And to further compound matters, rival Irish airline Ryanair offered flights at an exclusive price of 100 euros to passengers who were stranded in Dublin, Cork and Shannon airports. And I believe due to the EU directive set up after passengers were left stranded years ago during the Icelandic volcano eruption, any flight delayed by three hours or more are cancelled within the European Union or even from a European Union country entitles the passenger to compensation. So no real surprise that this will could potentially cost Aer Lingus millions. So the outcome of this case could have far-reaching implications uh, for companies relying on leasing data center space. This week, the Register reported that the previously paid-for Ubuntu Pro update service is now free of charge for up to five physical machines. The announcement only applies to long-term support releases, and all you need to use this is a free Ubuntu One account to sign in and obtain a token. This week, Chocolatey reported that their service was having an issue. And they said that they were aware of an issue that was impacting the package scanner feature, which has resulted in low, in slow processing of packages through automatic moderation and being approved. And they've implemented a temporary workaround and are working on a long-term fix. And there's still quite a large queue of packages, at least as of Thursday night, to be moderated. And they said it might take some time to clear. They apologize for any inconvenience this may have caused. And uh, by the time I read this and scripted this episode of the podcast, it had been going on all day. And finally, for the news this week, another quick hit story. As part of the Netscaler rebranding, so going back from ADCs to Netscaler, uh, Citrix have launched a new Netscaler community which they say is a single place where you can engage with an ecosystem of Netscaler experts, including Netscaler product and engineering staff and Netscaler technology partners. So if you're all about Netscalers, you may be interested in joining this Netscaler community. And now this episode's scripts, tricks, and tips. First up this week is a tip from David Rodriguez. And that is if you go to the Windows run bar and type in slash slash live.sysinternals.com slash tools and hit enter, it will open an explorer window with all of the latest versions of the sysinternals tools. And there were some other tips in there too in the thread on Twitter, including that you can actually map a network drive to that path. And uh, there's also a tip that if you add an at SSL to the end of the .com uh, that will force it to use HTTPS, which can be better for your antivirus. Guy Leach shared some wisdom again this week, where he said that one of the things he likes about PowerShell 7 over 5.1, other than generally it's much faster, is the format hex commandlet can take a count and an offset so you can get a quick hex dump of a file data without needing third-party utilities. So if you haven't made the switch from PowerShell 5.1 to 7, maybe this will convince you. 
Andrew Taylor published a blog post around automating app deployments with Winget and Intune. And this is a topic that I covered uh, multiple different times on the podcast. Uh, other people have been doing this too, so it seems like there's a real appetite for using Windows Package Manager to maybe uh, streamline and automate some of your packaging and staging those within Intune. Johan, the awesome Johan, shared that there's an issue with MDT Lite on Windows 11 22H2, which I could have covered in my news had I known about it. Uh, but the good news here is Johan gives a tip on how to fix it. And it is pretty simple. There's a simple registry key, JScript replacement. It's a D word, it just has to be set to zero for the value. And that's hklm slash software slash Microsoft slash Internet Explorer slash main and it's JScript replacement and you set the value to zero. And the error I think is like a JavaScript error that you'd get if you're trying to use MDT Lite on the latest Windows 11. So if you are encountering that, then check out this fix. Shihan Pereira posted a blog on getting started with Microsoft Graph Intune PowerShell module for endpoint manager tasks. And Graph is another one that's becoming quite popular for blogs. And here it is being used for setting endpoint manager tasks. And finally, it was actually from an Ignite session. There's an Ignite session, the recording's already available, for migrating ADFS apps to Azure AD. And what caught my eye, what was shared on Twitter, was a breakdown um, showing ADFS or Active Directory versus Azure AD and a lot of the benefits from a security perspective that you get from using Azure Active Directory. I thought it was pretty cool to see that illustrated, and you might too, and if you do, check it out. Well, apologies, I knew this was gonna be a long episode and it certainly was, so kudos to you if you sat through the whole thing, and I will catch you next week.